I don't know if any of you were like me. Anybody read Treasure Island as a book when they were younger? Uh, a few of us. There always seems to have been an interest in finding treasure wherever it goes on. I've watched films about it. I've actually watched others go out on fields on even damp and rainy days with a metal detector and doing this over the ground, just hoping to find something of real value. When I was preparing this week, because I want to talk about treasure this morning, I, I looked up just to see what was it you know, the metal detecting community was like, and I was actually amazed. There is a UK council, the National Council for Metal Detecting, and I never knew that before. They've got 30,000 members. That's quite a lot of members, isn't it? That's probably a third of the size of Elim as a denomination, just in metal detecting. And all these people, they go out probably during the week around their house and at weekends they go and travel somewhere all in the hope of just finding that nice piece of treasure out of the ground, whatever it happens to be, you know. And uh, a few years ago, I don't know if you remember, it's a, well, it's more than a few years ago now, it must, I can't remember, it was, it's since the turn of this century and probably 2008 onwards. There was a couple of guys who, um, one owned the land and another person had gone out to a car boot sale and bought himself a metal detector for £2.50. And the deal was between these two people was, he would use his metal detector and the guy whose land it was, if they found anything, they'd split it 50-50. Well, the guy goes out with this £2.50 metal detector. I can't believe it would have been that brilliant for £2.50 out of the back of a boot in, the, in a car boot sale. But he went out and guess what? He hit the jackpot. He hit the jackpot. He got this, uh, he started, he found something and he started to dig and there was just more and more and more of this treasure that was coming to the surface. And so they kept digging and digging and digging until they got everything they thought they could get hold of. And then they had it valued. £2.50 expenditure in a car boot sale. What do you reckon the amount of money the treasure was worth? It was huge, 3.3 million pounds. It was called the Staffordshire Horde, that's what it was called. Um, and I thought, uh, what a win, what a return on £2.50, you know? I was tempted to go and buy one myself and just see what happens. But I wonder what sort of response those guys had when they first started coming across that treasure. I expect, without a shadow of a doubt, they would have been full of joy. The fact that they'd actually found something, and not only joy, but the more that came out of the ground, I, would, could, I could just see that total elation would just overcome them. You may wonder, why am I telling you a story about that? Because this morning I'm going to read just three verses of Scripture. 89 words with the titles... 69 if you take the titles off in my Bible. From Matthew 13, 
verses 44 to 46. You'll know if you've been in church at all, you will know this story well. If you've ever been in Sunday school, you will have heard this story, I have no doubt. If you've never done that, this is a small story called a parable that Jesus told. And a parable is a story which is there to reveal spiritual truth. So Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Stories are powerful, aren't they? They somehow, when told well, they manage to get under the defences and take hold of you. Even if you're sat there resistant and not really wanting to listen at all, if a storyteller tells their story well, somehow it will engage you and it will get under that defence and that resistance and it will start to pull you in. When I was trying to plant a church in Scotland, I've shared this before, I think, but when I was trying to plant a church in Scotland, I went to, I had a guy actually come into the church and he was exploring faith in Christ. He was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous who, you know, he was at a place where he talked about a higher power and they had the big book. And when he was reading the Bible and looking to try and find out what the Bible had to say, he was interpreting the Bible with the big book instead of the big book with the Bible. Nevertheless, he was, he was hungry. And uh, we spent hours sharing together. And eventually he came to Christ. But on one occasion, he invited me to go along to something called uh, a convention that the AA community hold in Motherwell Town Hall. And I went in, I wasn't really knowing what to expect. There was no singing, but there was some sort of stuff at the beginning, introductions, and, and then they invited, I don't know whether they had invited people had agreed or whatever, but they had people on the platform ready to share their story with the people who were there. As these people began to share their story, at first, it was okay. But every now and again, I would feel something internally that would do something to me. And there were points in some of the stories that I listened to that actually made my throat, the Adam's apple, if you've ever had that, watching a film, you don't cry at films, of course. You know, I did at The Notebook, all right? I was fighting it back. In fact, I would probably have made more noise holding it in than just crying. But it's like my Adam's apple was coming out of my throat. It was painful. I wanted to cry. Anyway, we got to the end of the first session. I'd listened to about three stories and I was wrecked, absolutely wrecked. 
We went out and had a cup of tea and he says to me, he turned to me and he said, are you doing okay? And I said, not really. I found that extremely challenging. And this is what he said to me, words I'll never forget. He said, I could see that there was things being said that touched you. And I said, that's right. He said, that's because at that point, you were having a, what they call in AA, identification with the story that was being told. Now that's what they do in AA. Something that they've learnt. Something that has been being done for a century or more. When you experience identification, you connect with the storyteller and what they are, what they are saying. I don't read journals of neuroscience, but I did find this quote from the Journal of Neuroscience. It sounds good, doesn't it? You know, Skillful storytelling helps listeners understand the essence of complex concepts and ideas in a meaningful and often personal way. That statement was written in 2018, but 2,000 years earlier, Jesus was doing it all the time. As he walked around on this earth, he was telling parables and stories to connect with people, to encourage them to follow him. So let's for a moment just look at these verses that we've read. first thing I wrote on my paper is what did you hear when I read those words to you what did you hear you see stories become very personal so I wonder what you heard did you just hear words or was there just something for a moment that maybe you saw for the first time in those words maybe just maybe there was a little pang of conscience as those words were read what did you hear you see reading scripture is one thing letting it touch you is another letting it touch you is another There are only 83 words, 69 I read to you, but only 83 words in that section of the Bible. And yet the tr spiritual truth that is contained here is phenomenal. So he starts, the kingdom of heaven is like... The kingdom of heaven is a term that is used 32 times throughout the book of Matthew. It never appears in Mark, Luke or John. It is not used, the kingdom of heaven is not used as a statement. It's possible that Matthew used it because he was writing to Jews and the reality is that Jews had a really, um, a really, uh, they didn't like writing down the name of God. In case at some point in the future, if you wrote in pencil or whatever, it might have got rubbed out or part of it might have been rubbed off or it might have become defaced because somebody has dropped a blob of ink on it or whatever or put a chisel through it if it was that. 
But the reality is, he uses the kingdom of heaven in exactly the same way that other writers use the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, we have come to believe, means the rule and reign of God being active and present in our lives. And about coming in and surrendering and submitting to that rule and reign. And so here, right at the beginning of this parable, this is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Both of them are. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like. Is like. And so Jesus is trying to describe something that opens up to us the rule and reign of God in our lives. And so it has great significance for us and for us, us who believe, but also for those who as yet don't believe. And so here we are. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, pearl of great price. Here we begin to get introduced to what the value was of the rule and reign of God in the lives of people. And when you realize that they go away, they sell everything they have in order to purchase the ground where the treasure is, where the guy goes away and sells all that he has in order that he can buy one pearl of great value, it shows you the immensity of the cost of the rule and reign of God. Now, why did it cost so much? Because it took the death of someone who shared his blood for each and every one of us. What we celebrated here in communion this morning, the value of the kingdom, the rule and reign of God, it cost the Father all he had in his son, Jesus. No wonder Paul writes things like, but whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. He recognized, and Paul said there in Philippians, he said that he was able to boast more than any man. You know, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews and all the rest of it. He was circumcised on the eighth day. There was so much he could have taken stock in and pride in and sort of puffed his cheeks out and felt good about himself. And yet he says here, but whatever gain I had, I, would, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, it's absolutely worthless when I hold Jesus against it. The all-sufficiency of Christ is the answer to everything. And our willingness to come under his rule and his reign in order that our lives might be changed. The prophets declared... In the Old Testament, the rule and reign of God. The kings who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord actually knew what it was to live under the rule and reign of God and the blessing that comes with it because everything else will pale into insignificance. But what the Bible does teach us is how easy it is for us to take it for granted. How easy it is for us to take it for granted. Songwriters have tried to capture this idea in the songs that have been written as expressions to the feelings of their heart when they consider this whole area. 
You'll probably know the song, Let My Words Be Few. You are God in heaven and here am I on earth. So I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I'm so in love with you. And I'll stand in awe of you, Jesus. Yes, I'll stand in awe of you. And I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I'm so in love with you. Better is one day. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, for my soul longs and even faints for you. For here my heart is satisfied. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. I sing beneath the shadow of your wings. One thing I ask and I would seek, to see your beauty and to find you in the place your glory dwells. My heart and flesh cry out for you, the living God. Your spirit's water to my soul I've tasted and I've seen. Come once again to me and I will draw near to you. And probably the one we will all know when the music fades and all is stripped away. You know the worship this morning was so beautiful. And yet when all that is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. Do you know what that is? Do you know what that is that we can bring to bless the heart of God? Ourselves. Ourselves. Coming before him. Bowing our knee and surrendering to him. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you, it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. It's all about you. One of the difficulties we face with Christianity is we make it moral and moral only. It's a set of moral standards that we ask people to follow. And somehow we can actually, in thinking we are preaching the gospel, be just preaching pure morality pure morality, a moral code for living. Now I know that the Ten Commandments have a moral code in them. But the Ten Commandments, just you must know the same as me, to try and live those out without failing is almost an impossibility. Because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount ups the ante and We fail daily probably. Most of us will fail daily in trying to live a moral code. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that he gave Jesus for us. That he shed his blood on the cross. He lived that perfect life that we could never live. He went to a cross in order to die that we might be forgiven and made righteous in God the Father's sight. And that's what changes and transforms us. Yes, we might want to live the way God wants us to live. But the reality is, it's Jesus that transforms us. 
But then they find or they seek. One guy finds, and it just simply means to stumble across, to come upon, find accidentally, to perceive. And the second, the merchant who is searching for fine pearls, when he found one, his searching was trying to obtain, desired to strive after, to make inquiry, to investigate. I want to say to you this morning, it doesn't matter how you've come to be here this morning. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the reason you've arrived here this morning. Whether you've come and you're going to accidentally find something of Jesus or whether you have come because you're hungry and you're seeking and searching for something that you don't have in your life, the truth is you've come and there is something to find. And that find is what I've just described to you. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not that he came into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. We must remember that. He didn't come to condemn. So many people think that God came to condemn the world. He didn't. He came to save the world to make whole to make right to make beautiful to give beauty instead of ashes I love Isaiah 61 1 to 3 which is stated about Jesus uh, and, and Jesus uses it of himself in Luke 4 and it says something to this effect it says you know for the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, and etc., etc., to give sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Right? And then it goes on in verse 3, and it says, I've enlisted people which seem on the surface, if you take the words that he used, you get this picture of broken, battered, People who are desperate for a change in their circumstances. And then there is this declaration. And they shall be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I think that's amazing. The fact that you and me have the opportunity to be an oak of righteousness, to display not anybody's, not my own glory, but the glory of the Almighty God. And sometimes, you know, I don't take that seriously enough. I let it slip to the margins of my life and things then happen in order to make it recalibrate and come center. But this parable asks us a question. And I wonder if you heard the question when I read the verses. This is the question. What will you give? What will you give in order to obtain Jesus, the rule and reign of God? What will you give? October 28, 1949 marks a special day in Christian history. Not because 
there was some major prophetic word, not because there was a sudden outpouring of the Holy Spirit somewhere on the planet, but because a man called Jim Elliot, a missionary with a heart and passion for God and serving him, wrote these words in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. To everybody who saw these two guys go off and sell everything they had, must have thought, you are nuts. What is wrong with you? It's a bit like when people might think the second coming is happening on Wednesday, so they sell all that they have before the Wednesday, only to find very often, if it's happened up till now, that they sold it for nothing. But I think those words are so powerful. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Whatever you give up for Jesus, you will never lose. You cannot lose. I could tell you there will be people in this room, guaranteed, who will, like me, say, do you know, God has not always answered my prayers in the way I wanted. But God has never let me down. Not once. He's provided food for me and Liz and our family when it's been required and we've had no money. He's provided money through the letterbox without us telling a soul when we were so at the end of our rope that we thought it was going to be disastrous. He's come and he's bathed our wounds when we've been hurt. He has come and he has corrected us when we've been wrong because that is a sign of love. And all I want to say to you today is this. Are you a fool this morning? Or like Jim Elliot, are you going to be the fool who will give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose? I really genuinely do think we need to remind ourselves, I know, I work, I have the privilege of working within a church environment. And even within a church environment, I can tell you that sometimes Jesus gets pushed to the margins. Because you get so caught up with the doing, you forget to be. You get so caught up with the doing, you forget to be. You forget to sit with Jesus. You forget to focus on Jesus. You forget to bring all those things that are weighing you down to Jesus. You forget. You're so busy trying to sort everything out yourself. I don't want to be a person where Jesus says to me, these people honour me. Dave Smith honours me with their lips, but his heart is far from me. He worships me in vain 
because he's just doing his own thing. I want to be someone who worships God. That new song we sang this morning about our words and our deeds. I'd never heard that song before. I, I really loved, I liked that song a lot. Just from the tenor of the, of the song, you know, its focus. Um, I want my words and deeds to be worship to the Lord. And that's a heart attitude. That's a heart attitude. I think if we just bow our heads for a moment. I want to make this personal for you, not for a show of hands, but I just want to make this personal for you this morning. I got three, four questions, but the first three, what have you been, or what have we been, what are we searching for? Just think about that just for a moment. What have you been And what are you searching for? My second question to relate to the first is this. What is it that we have discovered as we think about that first question? So for instance, where does Jesus fit into that? Whatever you've thought about, where does Jesus fit into it? My third question is this, what value will we place on what we have found in Jesus? What value will we place on what we have found in Jesus? How valuable is what you have found in Jesus? My question to the guys on Friday night was, is he, that's Jesus, is he enough? And finally... My last question to us all, me included, is what will be our response? The prophet Jeremiah said this, you will seek me, speaking the words of the Lord is, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, you will sell all that you have in order to gain that which you will never lose. Father God, this morning I want to pray that something of this word will take root in our hearts. That this week, Lord, those words of Jim Elliot will just again and again come to our mind that we will think about the parable of the hidden treasure, Father, and the parable of the pearl of great price. And we will once again revisit those four short questions 
and ask ourselves them again and come before you and where we need to confess our coldness towards you then Father God hear our prayer and heal us Father forgive us and draw us back into the fire where it burns bright and warm and strong restore the love of our of our youth Lord the love of our salvation restore to us the things that we need for we ask it in Jesus name Amen Amen God bless you